Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Reverend Sarah Lindsay. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Peggy. <laughs> oh, we haven't seen each other in a long time. Actually, we, we've seen each other, but we haven't. We haven't been in a room together. No, that's true. How long has it been since you were in a room with anyone but your family? Uh, March 13th. Okay. Yeah. I was in a room with people on March 13th. I didn't even want to. I thought it was dangerous. We went to see my mother-in-law. She absolutely insisted. It was her birthday. We had theater tickets. Broadway had closed down. She was very upset. We had to go see her. And we went and we went out to dinner and it seemed completely ridiculous to do it, but it made her happy. And that was the last time that we have been more than a couple of miles from our house or have been in a room with anybody. Well, I mean, I go to the grocery store, so I guess in that way I'm in a room, but never in any way close to anybody. Yeah. And you haven't left your apartment. Yeah. So my parents and my children haven't left the apartment since March 11th. And I left once on March 15th to go lead Sunday services. And that was the last time I've left. Um, A really wonderful neighbor goes to get my parents' prescriptions from the grocery store and gets Mm -hmm. our mail because I'm too worried about the boys or I bringing it back, me bringing it back to my parents. Um, so we have a whole system. There's gloves, there's bandanas, there's <laughs> the threshold, there's a small chair I sit on at the apartment door and I wipe everything down. And Bonkers. <laughs> yeah, in 63 days since my children have been in the sunshine and had fresh air, Oof. Uh, which is a long, long time, it turns yeah. out. <laughs> Who would know? <laughs> Who could have anticipated that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it yeah, it's been hard. Um, yeah. no question. We uh, did um one of Zach's friends had a birthday, it was his tenth mm-hmm. birthday, and we did a drive-by birthday party for him yeah. where all of his friends lined up in the car. We've got a sunroof in my car, so Zach was like standing, and a lot of other kids were standing so they could see each other. But you know, then we like drove by and honked and played music, and Zach had confetti he was throwing, and kids were throwing. And then the parents were like out on the yard throwing toilet paper as gifts to people. (laughs) (laughs) It was an amazing thing. I mean, there were people just howling, and it was so much fun. And the kid afterwards said he was crying, saying, "I can't believe they did that." There was. It's like oh, the nice. best birthday. He kept saying that was the best birthday. And his mother's like, really, I've spent so much money on birthdays. Is that what have done before? Yeah, my mother turns seven during quarantine. My twins turned five. So uh, we've had some birthdays. Not as exciting as that. There were no honking horns. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like um, there's a lot to sort of like 
giggle about or sort of, you know, that's wonderful and beautiful, like honking horns and stuff. But obviously there's a lot that's really, really hard. Um, in this oh, Lord. Right. Well, I mean, in New York, I, I wonder what it's like in other places, but for us here, I mean, I, I don't think anybody at this point doesn't know somebody who has died. I mean, a month ago, it was doesn't know somebody who knows somebody. And now it's, we've all, everyone has lost somebody. The numbers are astounding. Yes, in New York, it is definitely overwhelming. Yeah. Um, it is overwhelming. In a way that I don't know that people outside of New York or New York, mm-hmm. New Jersey can really understand because it's, um, it isn't affecting other areas in the same way. And we're really living in a massive health crisis. And in the city, you know, so it's like you, you know, either you figure out how to just stay completely in your apartment or you have no choice but to walk right. out. And plenty of my congregants have no choice. I mean, they have very small kitchens. They really can't store food. The delivery is really difficult to get. Yeah. And so they're out and they're frightened all the time because people are so sick. It's true. It is only privilege that actually allows my family of six to be doing what we're doing, right? That's the only way this works. Um, My job is doable remotely. We have, you know, friends who are at lower risk and are willing to take on that extra trip for us, right? Um, It's only privilege that enables it. which is also adds a sort of a funny layer to the whole experience, right? Like um, the awareness <clears throat> of what's happening to other communities or to other other folks who are not in a position to do what like my family is able to do. Um, which does like I then I think about there are so many layers to this moment, right? Like there's the deeply personal. How am I living through this moment, right? Mm-hmm. All the disappointments about birthdays, graduations. Um, you know, in in congregational life, the sort of the normal rituals we would do, like we've got our flower celebration coming up on Sunday, and it's going to be nothing like our normal one, right? Like, there's a lot of things that a lot of us are grieving, missing. Then there's the layer of we're actually grieving people that we're losing, that we love. Then there's the layer of like economy, <laughs> finances, all of that stress. Right. What does this mean for the world? The awareness that like you know, black and brown folks and poor folks are dying at a much higher rate than white folks and wealthy folks. And all of the layers of very personal to social to like global, what does the future of the world look like? It really is. An, uh, I mean, you and I, you've said this before, we're students of history. There is not another comparable moment. I really don't think so. Right? Like, play, even the plague wouldn't be comparable because you didn't have the kind of world linkages that you do now. Right? Um, I don't know. I, you're on Zoom, so I can see your face, and I feel like maybe you've got a response, which would be awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think that there, I think there are other moments. I mean, I think, I, I think the plague actually was similar to this. Um, I think that it's. Uh, I mean, they didn't have the information, so they didn't have the same. They didn't know exactly what to be afraid of necessarily, right? I mean, people kept visiting each other. They were burying the dead. Like, they didn't have any sense of you get close to someone who's sick and you're going to get sick too. They were, 
so it was a different kind of thing. They were they went to a very theological place that we're not going to necessarily. But I think that the experience of being afraid, of living afraid, was the yeah. same. <clears throat> okay, I totally agree with that. I think what I'm saying is that never before in history has there been such a global understanding, right? Like, you might have had an awareness, in the medieval period, you might have had an awareness of other lands, other peoples, other, but the, the way that oh, we I are think. tied and connected and the, our knowledge of the impact, right? So, so in a different world, you know, 2,000 years ago, there might not have been, no one might have known where it came from and where it went and where it was going, right? Like, you wouldn't have had right. a sense of the interconnection of the entire globe. I feel like right. never in the history of human awareness has there been a moment when the entire globe is facing, like, reevaluation, tragedy, and, like, a total stop of business as usual all together, right? Like, all of us are having to sort of cope with this somewhat simultaneously, um, a little bit of a wave, I guess, but um, so in that way, in this way of like, and we can see all of the different levels, economic, in terms of travel, all of these different ways that um, climate, our treatment of the, of the earth, all the ways that these things are connected then yep. to how this moment goes down, right? Like that feels very new to me. I mean, not like I lived yep. through anything else, but you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, I cannot imagine another moment that would have been quite like this. Um, yeah, I mean, there is this profound interconnectedness. My neighbor died and um, she had, she was one of the early, earlier cases. And, and I don't really know her, but what I've learned is that she travels internationally. So she went on some business trip and brought this virus to my street. I mean, the ways that we're connected, we have become acutely aware of how much we really move around and, and how the air we breathe, I mean, the air I breathe really does connect you. And I've often done this breathing exercise with people and talked about, um, sharing that we share the same atoms but really <laughs> now now we we really understand that what you breathe what was deep in your lungs in your body the oxygen that was feeding your body becomes part of my body well and that that for me has such a layer both of science right and of spirituality which which really is like the liberal religious position right is one that integrates science, right, that doesn't let it fall by the wayside. So this idea that this moment is sort of even deeper proof of our interconnections for me is, is scientific, but also spiritual, right? Right. And then all of the questions that we're asking ourselves about when do we reopen? What are the risks we take? How do we care for each other? Become questions not only about economy, right? Um, not only about the value of life, not only about science, but but all of them, right? All of it blends together. Um, well, and also about about interconnectedness, so that you know you may decide that it's okay for you that you want to go, you know, walk in the streets or to find some mall to shop in, but you get someone else sick, and that person goes to a hospital, and now there's a nurse who. Right. would prefer being home taking care of her children not putting herself at risk but now has to take care of that person i mean we're all so connected yeah. in ways that 
we before didn't have to consider. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point, right? I didn't, we can often, we can imagine the sort of most immediate results of our actions, but now all of a sudden there's such a, a ripple effect that we can see and track um, that it's sort of, um, it can be frightening to be honest, right? Like to know that one small move that I might decide to make could have a huge impact. I, I think what's interesting to me, obviously you, I, we've all been watching um, protests in other parts of the country um, around like when, when to, like we need to reopen the like, what was it like liberate Michigan stuff or whatever. Um, right. And, you know, I think, I think this part of this goes back to what you said at the beginning, which is maybe folks don't realize if they're not in a place that has, seen real um, overwhelm from this. Maybe they don't realize just how bad right. it can be. Um, you know, but when I think about those protests, I think a lot about if you're living deeply the belief in interconnection, right? If you're living deeply the belief in the value of human life, then even though I know it's hard and, and the economic pain is real, like how can you justify reopening, you know? Well, it's a matter of what we prioritize. I mean, it's always been a matter of what we prioritize. We systemically have been prioritizing the economy over human life in many, many ways for centuries, right? This is not new. <laughs> what we're seeing right now is what it looks like when it collapses. Right. And, and really, you know, some of the stories from those protesters were, they're hyper-individualistic. It's, you know, I need to get back to work to pay my bills, which, by the way, I totally get. Yeah. People, people really do need to pay their bills. Well, or we need a whole new system that doesn't well, demand pay those bills. <laughs> right. So that's what I was going to say, that yeah. we have this hyper-individualistic idea of I have to pay my bills because we're in a system that created created this, you know, in order for the whole system to work, I have to keep producing and putting more and more into the system to hold it all up rather than looking at it, taking a, a real balcony view and saying, well, where, where is the wealth located and does it need to be there? Is it just, is that fair? So if those people who are out protesting, who I think are genuinely worried about whether or not they're gonna lose their homes and their cars and their livelihood and their health, health care, you know, just through work, not they're clearly not concerned immediately about their health. But if, if we were to, to stretch that out and look at it in a much bigger way, well, nationally, there is enough money for them not to lose their homes. It's just that we've located that money in a few people. And we need to be shifting the way we, we understand wealth and, and national responsibility so that those people don't have to protest in order right. to save their livelihoods. Right? We should, as a country, be coming together to say, what is it that we need? We have 300 million people and everyone needs shelter and everyone needs food and everyone needs healthcare and everyone's going to need to not be afraid that in order to get those things, they're going to die or get incredibly sick. I mean, right. 
that should just be like that's that's the beginning of the conversation to me right you start there and then you ask those questions about how you create systems where you get the things that you need and instead we're still living in this hyper individualistic system where people are frightened and they're so frightened they're willing to risk their lives and the lives of the people they love well, and so this is this is interesting to me because I feel like all of our sort of early episodes of our podcast would come back to this same question, right? This same set of like what we're seeing in the world in relation to climate change, in relation to anything that we talked about, was the prioritization of the individual over the cooperative, right. and the sort of the privileging of progress over like wholeness, right? Um, and this is like of all the moments, like this one lays it pretty starkly bare. And for me, you know, the foundation, right, of the way I approach all of this is a liberal religious belief in the value of human life, right, in the value of community and cooperation, um, in the idea that wholeness is more important than wealth, right, all of these things. And all of that is part of, you know, sort of where I come from spiritually. And then the question, though, for me always becomes, so what do we do, right? We're in this unprecedented, as you call it, like unprecedented moment of cultural evaluation, right? I've heard you say that. Um, and I, I agree. I absolutely agree, right? This is, this is an unprecedented moment for us to actually, like, take a little pause and go, okay, what have we built and what is worth keeping from what we've built, right? It's like... Right. All those like images I feel like in the 1990s of like it's the rat race or you're like on the treadmill and like okay so we can all get off for a minute and just like work around and be like what is this but but there's going to be so much and there is already so much pressure to return to normal yeah. right to get the economy going the way it was right so how especially when power and wealth are located among a handful who want to retain it how do we build that new world that privileges cooperation and community? How do we, you know, that for me, that for me becomes a central question. And so I don't I, have an answer. <laughs> like, so, I don't have an answer, but I do have what I, so as, as you know, um, I have put this question out to thought leaders. I put it out to clergy. I put it in a few different places, but the one that you would see is in, clergy groups saying, you know, essentially what I had said, I think before we were recording, I feel like, you know, we've all been sent to the corner to think about what we did. And now that we're, we're in this spot, right, we're, we're sitting here wondering, what did we do? I think, I think what's next, I think there's, we need to take an honest evaluation of what it is, like, now that everyone has stopped, and everyone is standing still, we can take a look and say, well, what is it that's different? Aside from the parts of this that are truly horrific, there's something else that's happening here. There's a way that Earth is healing. There's a way that we're asking questions about how we live, about how much do we really need to be moving, about who's really, who, who are our people, you know, like what's my community really? How do we reconnect with neighbors? I also think um, we can start asking questions about the question we just asked, why in this very wealthy country are so many people living so close to the edge? Why does, you know, losing two months of work 
collapse an economic system, a massive, powerful economic system. Right, so we, the first thing we're doing is asking the questions, naming the problem, and then I think we're getting the thought leaders together to start brainstorming. What does the new world look like? Can we get specific about it? Really specific. What is the new economy? What are the new social systems? What are the environmental systems? The power structures? What, what is it that, let's rebuild it. And the more that we start telling that story and working together and being really intentional about it, I mean, I feel like we have two choices right now. We're either going to move towards something that's really gorgeous or we're going to shift into a fascist system and it's really all going to collapse. And it will be a hyper-individualistic world in which people are not getting what they need at all. Yeah. I mean, it feels like we're already on the way to that second one. Well, I think that both of these are being born. I mean, I, I think something is being born right now. And I think both, I think it's twins. <laughs> so we have choices. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, make choices. It's, I'm sorry, you're a mother of twins. I'm not saying I love both of your kids very, very much. <laughs> but there is something too, like only one can survive. <laughs> You go in. Only one man leaves. But there is, <laughs> but there is something about like what? Which of those two options? Since they're both being born, which are the? Which one are we nurturing? Well, so I think that question you first asked, right? That was like a two-parter. But the first part of that question about why are we where we are, right? Like, um, you know, I had a I had a sort of like you know sarcastic answer about meritocracy, right? Which I don't actually believe, right, at all. Um, but I think, you know, in part, the answer is the idolatry of money and the sort of the, the religion of capitalism and these things that have taken over what I, you know, what we might call like the sort of the better parts of human nature, right? The sort of the instinct to cooperation has been squashed by this, like, notion of the, you know, the, the cowboy, the pilgrim, that everybody's setting out on their own to, like, make their claim on the world, right? Um, and that, interestingly, this moment where we are so interdependent, maybe one of the greatest lessons of this moment is that that kind of individualism actually just ends up getting all of us killed, right? Like, that at the end of the day, that level of individualism does nothing but destroy life. Um, right. So, yeah, it's... Um... Well, and it has been, but I don't think we've known, I mean... I think I said in one of our episodes, 2020 is the year, right? Something is going to happen. Something has to happen. We have to stop what we're doing. Right. It, it's been killing us. Yeah. It's just that we, we haven't, well, we ha right. But we haven't, yeah. we haven't had the wherewithal to stop. Well, and so I like everyone stay still and then, and figure out what we're going to do next. Yes. Who thought that was going to happen? But also, it's I, I, what I said just now, I want to modify, right? Because I said slow enough that we haven't realized. But if you've been in certain vulnerable demographics, or, or if you are among certain minorities, it hasn't been slow, right? Like, it's been slow. The, the damage and the death and destruction has been slow enough for the people in power with privilege to not have to change anything or do anything about it, right? right. But there are other communities that have experienced the horror of all of this for centuries and just those of us who are white and have money or whatever have been able to like push ahead as if it were meaningless. Right. Um, so in this moment, you know, it's not like, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. I mean, 
there have been plenty of communities, I mean, indigenous communities have been saying it for 500 years, like what you're doing is killing us. But white communities, I mean, so when I say white, I really even mean poor white people, that there's a way in which we're protected, that, that people of color in this country just haven't ever been. And because white people are the ones with the power, we haven't ever had to take seriously in any major systematic way to stop the damage that we're doing. We've been, you know, sad about it. Like even liberals, you know, we're like, you know, gee, sure, we really wish that wasn't happening, but this is the first time we're making massive efforts toward radical change. I mean, just the decision to stay still, right? I mean, when that happened two months ago, Nobody said, I mean, I certainly, none of the circles I was in, nobody was saying in that week, right? We closed on a, we just made the decision on a Wednesday. Thursday was the last day. Friday we were closed. Nobody was saying, what is this going to do to the, you know, to the economy? What, what does it do to New York City economy? What does it do to the state? But we were saying, how do we protect our people? How do we make sure that the most people, we prioritized human health over everything else. That was the very first time historically that I can think of ever that we've done that. I mean, we're always prioritizing something else. Well, so I just want to own for a second, because um, I, I totally agree with that. And I want to own that what makes me sad a little bit, right? Like one of the layers of grief for me in this is that what it took for us to prioritize life was a threat to our own lives as opposed to a threat to our fellow humans right like it's not it's not enough to know right that that huge uh huge amounts of folks in our population in america are under threat on the daily right that's not enough to actually do it it took until it was us right which you know i'm glad we're doing it obviously but it makes me sad to think that it took that that we don't have as deeply embedded a sense of our interdependence as we need to actually care for each other. Um, And again, it feels like that's what's being built now, right? Like there are structures being built in the communities that I live in that didn't exist before, exactly in order to, in the, and and everybody talks, every time we build one of these structures, whether it's, you know, the calling tree at church or the interfaith group in in the town where my congregation is like working to um, provide resources and connect people to resources, whatever it is, all of these structures of small community that you and I talked about months ago, really, (laughs) um, all of these structures of community um, are are laying groundwork for the future and everyone who's building them talks about them staying in place even when quarantine is over. So there is some sort of lesson being learned about the value of privileging life, right? In this moment when we've had to, it's like we're learning a lesson about that we really should be doing it in general, I think, I hope, fingers crossed, and that that will live into the future. Well, and I think that we're, you know, in the new economy, which we've talked about before, it needs to be hyper-local and people need to be self-sufficient in a different kind of way. And I think part of what's happening right now is, is that we've been forced into the world, that world <laughs> that, that we've been thinking we need to build. So, um, so people are planting their own gardens wherever they can. They're trying to grow their own food in 
tiny little corners. I've seen people in alleys in New York City as claiming a corner with a, a pot and some tomatoes. I mean, as much as, as anyone can, hanging things outside of their windows because food is in shorter supply than we've really ever experienced it. It's, I'm seeing, I mean, you know, you're joking about me learning how to bake bread, but there is really something about learning how to do things that we couldn't do before fixing things in the house because you're not going to call somebody, right? But you had a plumbing issue. You're like, how do I do this without calling somebody? We ordered a snake off of Amazon because I'm going to have to learn how to use a toilet snake because I live right. in I mean, there are just things four boys. <laughs> like- so in, in my vision of the new world, we're no longer working 60 hours a week or 80 hours a week. We're working 30 hours a week and we're taking care of each other in a really different way. We are baking our own bread and growing our own food and just shifting so that this isn't about a massive economy that's supporting the wealthiest people. We we are all having to learn. Right. I saw a, um, okay, so I'm going to like date myself here because I'm like, do I call it a meme? Do I call it a graphic? I don't know. It was like a little picture with some words. Um, (laughs) I saw a meme on Facebook this morning that was like, um, uh, you know, it was sort of like the old, like normal. Hey, you thought I'm, you thought I'm mine. I'm the one I posted that. <laughs> I thought that's what else says. It wasn't yours. Oh. It was like normal. And it was like right now, and it was like forward. And this sort of the idea was what if not going back to normal, but we imagine going forward to something else, right? Um, so all of these things you're talking about, learning these new skills, they don't go away when everything is over, right? So all of the, if we can vision that new moving forward and retain all of the skills and systems and structures that we're building now and do that like consciously, then maybe there is a real possibility for what comes after that isn't just a return. But, right. but I also think it's not going to be enough for us to like build some local community stuff and like for yeah. me to plant plants in my apartment. That's all. There's a bigger structural beast that's coming for us that wants us to go back to normal. Right. Like, yes. There's an American system that has the weight of centuries of oppression and exploitation, and it's going to yes. take more than like you know you baking bread and me planting flowers. Like it's going to take more than that for us to figure <laughs> out how to overcome. Right. Not try not to be like mean to either of us and our our newfound hobbies, but like it's going to take more <laughs> to like prevent that machinery, that American machinery from just like blowing past all of us, rolling us all over, you know, to get back to things as they were. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think that's- So it's going to take- Yeah. It's going to take for us um, collective action and some collective support so that, you know, in my own church, to be able to say New York City, maybe saying we're opening, which by the way, of course they're not, but um, at whatever point it's like, oh, small business can open and churches can open. For me to say, no, but we're not gonna live like that anymore. We are actually gonna work remotely as much as we can. And, and our meetings that were held in person are going to be on Zoom for the foreseeable future. We're going to be shifting into a different way of living and to have enough people saying that for enough spaces, enough people responsible for businesses and to be able to say and work together and support each other in doing it. And then supporting local businesses when, you know, 
So when you are going to order food from somewhere else, that it's a, it's a local business that you're ordering right. from, right? That you're, so, but it would require, I mean, I think it requires a lot of conversations and a lot of thought partners in, in all of our circles to be creating this culture shift. And you know, a lot of the paradigm's going to shift, we're going to be, it's because we've pushed it so hard. Right, exactly. A lot of resistance, right? Resistance to folks who are like reopen, resistance to folks who are like, oh, we can't have a vote because we can't be in person, right? Like there's going to be a lot of different places where like advocacy and holding to that vision, but backing it up with a whole lot of like action and heart is going to be really important. Um, yeah, I think time is on our side. I mean, I think the, the longer this goes on, the more it becomes normal and the more we start to to recognize that a new world is being born here. Well, and that's sort of the funny, um, ironic, like hope of this moment on some level is that on the one hand, Lordy, I wish I could hug somebody who wasn't in my immediate family. <laughs> and <laughs> on the other hand, um, the longer it goes on, I think the more shot we really do have at something different on the other side. In other words, if this was just a two week endeavor, nobody would, blink about going back. No, that would just be annoying. Yeah. The longer it goes, the more we see the foundational errors of yeah. our systems and, and the more chance I think we have of really building something real. So it does, it feels like the whole episode has really been about our moment of hope, the whole thing. So now our moment of action and our action today is survive. <laughs> I'll try to, yeah. Do your Where's absolute right? best too. Um, yeah. And then well, the, the, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, and, and to prioritize that, that, that what we're all doing here is we're, we are trying to stay alive, keep our families alive. That's it. That's, that's the goal. If we have done that, we've been successful. And for all the people who are out there thinking that they should be learning new things and doing something fabulous, especially for all the parents who are feeling like your kids have to, you know, as long as they're home, may as well learn, you know, Shakespeare, that we all need to just let it go and let everybody else off the hook and let ourselves off the hook. The goal is survival if we do that we have been successful yeah done right now is to prioritize the attempt to survive like that's all that's asked of you and to do it with as much grace for yourself and others as you can possibly muster right um and that's it and 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 that really like you and i more than most might know there are people who won't survive right and so people we love, people already. we love, right? People we feel responsible for, and right. and so it's not. It, this is not. This is all of this is about stepping back from an idea of success or failure or progress or whatever, and only into a place of we are all just going to do our best together to survive. And if we don't, if people don't, when they don't, we're going to. We'll you know, 
grieve and them. Each other, but yeah. that your only job right now is to do your best right. to try, right? Right. And to lay off of everybody else. Yeah. Right. And know that everybody else is doing their best too, even yeah. if it doesn't look like what you think their best should be. Right. Grace and generosity. And then <laughs> <it's> survive. <laughs> That's it. Amen. <laughs>